But sometimes God's visits were disciplinary action. See, this language of God visiting in the case of, of Sarah is, is gracious. It was also the case when he visited and intervened to save Israel from slavery in Genesis chapter 15, verse 24 and 25. You can read of God visiting in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6 when he came to bring an end to an era of famine. You can read about how God visited Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 21 when he visited her to bring about her conception that had been so long delayed. You can read about how God visited the exiles, intervening to bring them back to the land of promise in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. You see, when we read this term, with this terminology, the Lord visited Sarah, what we need to envision here is that God's involved, that God's intervening, that God has heard her, that God has heard Abraham and Sarah's cries for a child, desire for a child, and, and he's witnessed all that has gone on in their life, particularly in these past 25 years, and he's here now doing something about it, just as he had promised. Four times prior to this, God had spoken, according to Scripture, and promised this child. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12, when, when he promises, when he informs Abraham that Abraham would have an heir, you can go back to Genesis chapter 15 where he reveals to Abraham that this heir would be Abraham's own child. You can go back to chapter 17 when he first identifies Sarah as the mother of this child. And when he, when he first speaks of that child being born a year from then. And in chapter 18 that very promise is reaffirmed when God visited Abraham and Sarah in the flesh. You see, the first thing we notice here in this story is what God did. And God visited. God intervened. God showed up and God kept His promise. God fulfilled His end of the covenant. It all starts with what God did. Now think about your life for a moment. Think about all the ways that God has intervened in your life, that God has showed up in your life. And all the great things in your life can be tied to what God has done for you. See, God still visits, not quite in the same way, but God still intervenes, and God still cares about what's going on in our lives, and God still answers His promises, fulfills His promises to us. The whole story starts with what God did. And because of what God did, we see what Abraham did. And what Abraham does here is he obeys. Now, I want you to think about Abraham's past 25 years. We give Abraham a lot of credit because when God showed up in Genesis chapter 12 and said, hey, I want you to leave your home and I want you to leave your family and I want you to leave your country and I want you to go to this new place following me and trusting me the whole way, Abraham made the decision to leave. And we give him a lot of credit for that. In fact, You'll get to Genesis chapter 15, and God gives Abraham a lot of credit for believing him. But Abraham made a lot of mistakes on the way too, didn't he? If you look back over the series and these lessons we've, we've studied, you can go back to Genesis 12, and right after he gets to the promised land, he makes this decision to travel to Egypt, a trip that God never sanctioned, a trip that God never ordered. 
And while there, he lies about his relationship with Sarah because he doesn't necessarily trust God to protect him in enemy territory. And that gets him into all kinds of trouble temporarily. You can go back to Genesis chapter 16 when Sarah has this bright idea that, hey, maybe God can't bring us a child. Or maybe God, I should say, maybe God needs us to get involved in this whole bringing forth a child business. And she suggests using a surrogate mother in Hagar. And a whole mess happens with that incident. And you can go just back to Genesis chapter 20. When Abraham is once again in the territory of another person, and he decides to lie about his relationship with Sarah once again. And you can see these different moments in the life of Abraham where he didn't fully trust God, and as a result, his obedience kind of lacked. He didn't, he didn't obey God when it came to staying in the land of Canaan, and he went to Egypt. He didn't necessarily obey God when God has said he's going to bring about an heir to him, and he used the surrogate. And he didn't really obey God when he lied that second time about his relationship with Sarah. And in all these incidences, we have this, uh, this man who has taken a great step of faith to follow God, but at times he's failed to really obey God. But now, but now Abraham obeys. And do you see how he obeys? In verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Abraham obeys by naming this child the name that God told him to name it back in Genesis chapter 17. God's the one who assigned the name Isaac to this child, and the name means he laughs. And it's going to be a forever reminder to Abraham that when God said you're going to have this child, Abraham laughed at that proposition. And then you'll notice in verse 4 of Genesis 21 that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. That command, that instruction came in Genesis chapter 17 as well. And what's so very interesting is that when Abraham received the instructions to circumcise himself and his whole household, as far as we know, there were no babies involved. It appears back in Genesis chapter 17 when that order came down and, and everyone in his household that was a male was circumcised, that it was all adults, including Ishmael, who would have been about, oh, 13 or so at the time. This is the first baby to experience this at eight days old. And yet Abraham's being faithful to that, even when others might have thought that was strange. And I know you may be thinking, naming the child the name God gave him and, 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 and circumcising the child as God had ordered him, those don't seem like big things. And they may not be. But what we see here is that Abraham is being faithful and obedient even in the little things. See, Abraham had struggled to obey in some previous incidents. But here, even in the little things, he's being obedient. How are you at the little things? See, I think obedience can come easy when it's the big deal issues. It's those little things where obedience can struggle. How are you at the little things? How are you at obeying God on the things that don't seem to matter as much? Does God care about our obedience in the little things as much as he does in the big things? 
Absolutely. God intends for us to obey him in all of his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those words of Jesus are indicative of us keeping everything that he commands. We need to be faithful like Abraham, even in the little things as he does here. So Abraham's response to God's visit, to God's answering of his own promises, Abraham's response is to be faithful even in the little things, because even the little things matter. After that, you'll notice in the story what Ishmael did. You can go down to verse 9, and this is where the story kind of takes a change. At this point in the story, we're past Isaac's birth, and now we're at the weaning of Isaac, which would have probably taken place when he was about three years old, according to that culture in that time. That would have made Ishmael somewhere around the age of 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that age range. And the only thing we're told that Ishmael did is they laughed. Now, anybody that's got a brother knows that their brother laughs at him at some point in time, right? But your translation may use a different terminology. It may say that Ishmael was mocking him, or it may say that he was scoffing him, or it may say that he was playing with him, or it may say that he was making fun of him. This term that's being translated here describes a wide range of actions that can have either positive or negative connotations depending on the context. For example, this word that's translated uh, laughing, mocking, scoffing, so on, it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 8 to refer to the activity that Abimelech saw Isaac and Rebekah engaging in. That conduct that caused him to realize they were married. We're told that Abraham saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah. It's also the same term used in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 17 by Potiphar's wife when she accused Joseph of a sexual advance. She said, the Hebrew servant came in to laugh at me. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 6, this term is used to refer to the activity of the Israelites after worshiping the golden calf. We're told that they rose up to play, is how it's translated in the English Standard Version. And then in Judges chapter 16, verse 25, this word is used in reference to what the Philistines were uh, using the blinded Samson for. They summoned Samson to entertain them. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verse 7, this term is used to refer to what some women, or to refer to how some women responded to David's defeat of Goliath. They sang to one another as they celebrated. And in Job chapter 30 and verse 10, this term is used in reference to how people responded to him after he lost everything. He said that now they laugh at me. I, I rattled off all those passages and all those references to this word because they show us that the, the idea behind it can be wide-ranging. It can have negative connotations as it, as it did at, at Mount Sinai and as it did uh, with Potiphar's wife. Or it can have positive connotations, as it did when those women celebrated the defeat of Goliath and so on. What it seems to be implying here, and the reason your translations uh, provide the words they do, is it seems to be implying that Sarah observed Ishmael doing something derogatory towards Isaac. And while we may not know exactly what Ishmael did, we can infer based on Sarah's reaction 
which is met with God's approval, that whatever it was was negative. In Sarah's statement in verse 10, that the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac, it seems to indicate that whatever Ishmael did, Sarah saw it as a threat to Isaac, particularly a threat to his status as the heir apparent. And when Paul applied this story in the book of Galatians, in verse, chapter 4 and verse 29, when he was applying this story to the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the church, he indicated that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. What we need to know is that Ishmael did something that Ishmael should not have done. That Ishmael treated Isaac in such a way that it seemed to pose a threat to Isaac's status in the family. And that Ishmael's actions were then observed by Sarah. I find this little tidbit kind of interesting, that Sarah's the one who saw what Ishmael did. No mention of Abraham seeing this, only Sarah. And you may think to yourself, well, well, Sarah's got a heightened state of awareness of what happens with Ishmael because she doesn't like Hagar and Ishmael after the whole uh, pregnancy thing and the way uh, Hagar handled herself. And we know once before Sarah has already kicked Hagar out of the, out of the house. So obviously she's going to be more cognizant of these things. But we have to remember something. We have to remember that Sarah saw this and then reported it to Abraham. And then told Abraham, hey, we need to get rid of her. We need, we need to dismiss her with Ishmael. And then God gave an okay to that. That God agreed with her decision. See, Sarah saw something here and told Abraham that they need to cast out or drive out Hagar and Ishmael. I've done this a lot tonight, but to give you an understanding of what she's asking for, that term to cast out or drive out, same term used in regards to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 where we're told that God drove out Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. It's the same term that Cain said to God in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 14. He said, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. It's the same term used in Exodus chapter 10 to describe what happened to Moses and Aaron after they met Pharaoh. They were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And it's the same term used in Joshua chapter 24 to describe what God did to the inhabitants of Canaan. He drove out all the people of the land. So Sarah observes something here that caused her to decide that Ishmael had to go. And I think it's so important that Abraham's not the one who saw this. I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of this morning's lesson for a moment. Abraham didn't see this because Abraham loved Ishmael. Abraham's affection was for Ishmael. You have to remember that even though Ishmael is not Sarah's son, he is Abraham's son. And for a number of years, Abraham really wanted Ishmael to be the child of promise. Before God finally showed up and said, hey, next year you're going to have a son with Sarah, Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 had begged God to accept Ishmael as that heir. 
Abraham couldn't see what Sarah was able to see. And I'm reminded as Sarah observed Ishmael's behavior that we have to be people who are watchful, people who are aware of what's going on. You can look at the instructions throughout the New Testament and how elders in particular are called to be watchful for false teachers, for, for savage wolves that will come in among the sheep. How we are called to be watchful, particularly of, of, of Satan, of the devil, who is this roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How all throughout the New Testament we have these instructions for us to be observant, to be cognizant, to be aware, to recognize the threats. Because that's what Sarah is doing. She recognized the threat that Ishmael posed to Isaac. Whether it's the threat of, of Ishmael imposing upon the birthright or the blessing, or more importantly, the covenant, whatever it is, she sees Ishmael as a threat to Isaac's rightful place. And so she calls for his separation. Because that sometimes that's the only way that we can remove the threat. And that's where Abraham comes into the picture again, and Abraham dismissed Ishmael and Hagar. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 14, we're told that Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. As I mentioned, Abraham didn't want to make this decision because in verse 11, we're told that Sarah's request was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. You have to remember, not only did Abraham dearly love Ishmael, but the last time Abraham took Sarah's advice, it didn't turn out so well. So God intervenes again. God intervenes by confirming that Sarah's request was in accordance with his will. In verse 12, he said, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham needed God to confirm that this separation was necessary. As we talked about a little bit this morning, sometimes we need to separate ourselves from somebody. Someone who is impenitently living in sin, as was talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, do not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother who, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunker, or swindler. We may need to separate from somebody who is walking disorderly. That's the terminology used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 in the New King James translation. The New American Standard Version says it this way, keep away from, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. I even think about the instruction in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14 that says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. In other words, we may need to separate from someone who will not receive God's word so that we can move on to someone who will. See, there are instructions in Scripture that say, hey, there's a time at which you've got to remove yourself from this association with somebody. Abraham struggled with that until God confirmed it. Are you struggling with that decision? Are you struggling to let go of 
some contact with somebody that you really do need to separate yourself from? Somebody that poses a threat to you spiritually as Ishmael posed to Isaac in regards to the covenant? Remember, Scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. That do not be unequally yoked instruction is not a call for us not to associate with unbelievers. If we don't associate with unbelievers, how can we share the good news with them? How can we reach them for, the, for, for Christ? How can we inform them about what they need to do to, to, to save their soul? It's not a call for that. It's a call for making sure that you're not conforming to the world because of your association with them. That you're not being led astray by them. The whole idea of all these instructions is separation for the sake of protection, spiritually speaking. And Abraham had to make that decision that day. He had to dismiss his firstborn son. And the thing is, when we think about separation like this, it breaks our heart. Because we don't want to give up on people. We have to remember that we serve a God who doesn't give up on people. Because the last thing I want you to notice is what God did in the end. God heard. Part of the reading we didn't do with our scripture reading tonight was verses 17 through 20. As the story comes to a close, you have Hagar and Ishmael out in the wilderness. They've run out of water. She's preparing for them to die. And then in verse 17, we're, we're told that God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy. And hold fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. See, even though God confirmed that Isaac and Ishmael needed to be separated for Isaac's protection, that didn't mean that God was separating himself from Ishmael. God was still concerned about Ishmael. God still heard Ishmael. God still took care of Ishmael. You know, there are times, as I've said, that we might need separation. But our separation does not mean that the individual we separate from is isolated. Just because we might have to separate ourselves from somebody does not mean that God has completely abandoned them. Think about the Ninevites for a moment. God cared so much about the Ninevites that he sent a messenger to them. Despite the fact that they were so wicked, despite the fact that they were so evil, despite the fact that their reputation was as of a people who could care less about God. Think about the prodigal son. As that story unfolds, you have a father who's waiting for his son to return. He never gave up on his son, and he didn't close the door to his son's return. When we think about God, we need to remember that we serve a God who doesn't give up on people, even when you and I might need to separate from them. What did God do here? God heard Ishmael, and God still cared about Ishmael. 
And God still provided for Ishmael. Tonight, when we study Isaac and Ishmael's story, I simply want us to see what each individual did in this story. Because for some of us, we need to remember that God is in control. God's the one who visited. God's the one who came on the scene and intervened. And God's the one who still hurt Ishmael when Ishmael was separated. Some of us need to remember that God's in control. Some of us tonight need to remember that it's our responsibility to be obedient to God. And that obedience is not just in the big matters, in the big situations, in the big problems, in the big, in, in the big matters. That even means being obedient in the little things. Some of us need to remember that we need to be watchful like Sarah. We need to be concerned about the threats to our spiritual well-being that are posed out there. And some of us need to make the hard decisions like Abraham to separate ourselves from those threats. See, I don't know what state you're in or what condition you're facing or, or what situation is, is going on in your life, but it might just be that you're in one of these positions. And you need to make some changes so that, like Isaac, you can be an heir of the promise. Maybe tonight you need to become a child of God by confessing your faith in Jesus Christ as his risen son, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Maybe you need to make some hard decisions and you need the prayers of this body of believers to, to help you through those decisions. Maybe you need to be more aware of what's going on in your life, more observant of the threats that are out there. And you need someone to help hold you accountable. Maybe you need to return to God because you left him. And you need to know tonight that we serve a God who never closes the door, who never stops pursuing, a God who can still hear you. Tonight, if you have any need to respond to the invitation, we offer this invitation so that you can make things right with God. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?
For those of our number this evening who do not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, that has been prepared as you head out the back auditorium and head to the room, you will be served. As we sing the first two verses of number 325. <clears throat> 